Adam currently is working in soil sciences, the U of S, and he studies soil things. I don't know. I don't really get it. Um, he's also exploring a call to ministry, and he's currently taking some seminary classes. And he's been a part of our senior high uh, teaching team for the last couple of years. He's been involved in developing and implementing the teaching that we do there. Adam is like Forest Grove's resident hipster. Um, him and his girlfriend are basically Instagram in real life. Um, he's probably the best-dressed human in our congregation, next only to Brian Heggie. Um, and he's usually sporting a buttoned-up shirt right to the top, as well as flashy socks. Although not today, no socks Sunday. Um, Adam loves basketball. Lots of his family live in Florida, and so he loves the Florida Gators. He even got to, he got to shoot some hoops at a halftime show once there. Um, I love working with Adam. I've loved the last few years that we've shared together. He's a man with a passionate heart, a willing spirit, a desire to see the kingdom grow, and he's a really good friend. And I'm very privileged to share the, the privilege of the Britney Spears mic with him on stage this morning. Good morning. Uh, like Chandra said, my name is Adam, and I'm extremely thankful to have the opportunity and, and the privilege to be up here and bring the word. Uh, I'm just super thankful to have a community that allowed me to serve and, and grow in this area of teaching and, and discipling. So like Chandra just did for me, I get to introduce you to her. Um, but many of you already know things about her, so hopefully the stuff I'm about to say is going to bring some insight to this shoeless wonder of a lady. Um, so if you were to look Chandra up on our, on our Grove website, it would say that she's in charge of youth ministries here at Forest Grove. Um, she shepherds uh, the youth through our junior high and senior high programs, as well as her time at Camp Kadish. Um, but if you, if you know Chandra, you would know that she's much more than that. Um, She's a, wife to her hus- she's a wife to her husband, Kirk, a mother to her boys, Lauren and Dylan. Um, she's a confidant to many of us. She's a listener to those in need, a passionate leader, someone who provides challenge. The list could go on and on. And needless to say, Chandra is an invaluable part of the church body. Um, and definitely there are, there are things that are interesting about Chandra. Um, she has a flip phone, and it's 2017. Uh, <laughs> She doesn't like wearing shoes, like I said, and usually if you hear her laugh, you're probably like a mile away, because it's pretty, it's pretty loud. Um, but I think the most interesting thing about her is her list of her favorite heats. So she like ranks her heats, and her favorite is heat from the sun. Um, and my favorite thing about Chandra, um, I'd have to say that it'd be her name, I think. How many of you guys know someone else named Chandra? I, I can only think of, of Chandra Styles here. And usually when you type it into Google, it's like, did you mean Chandra? Or like, did you, the autocorrects. So I think, I think that's the best part is people just don't know how to pronounce it some of the times. So I looked it up, and in Sanskrit, it actually means to shine. I think it's very fitting of Chandra. Thanks, Adam. Today we are going to continue on in our study of Romans. And Adam, Adam and I are going to be talking about Romans 12, 1 and 2. These two short verses, though brief, have much to be unpacked and have many implications for our lives. They call us to a shift from belief to behavior. Today is also Pentecost Sunday, the day where we remember the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the believers after Jesus left this earth and the shift that happened in their lives on that day. This morning, Adam and I will be talking about what it looks like for us to realize that we are constantly being called to shifting in our life. The kind of shifting that challenges the ruts and the patterns that we often fall into. The kind that requires a whole life surrender and a whole life response. Just join me as we pray. God, I thank you for today and um, thank you for Pentecost Sunday. And I just ask that uh, your Holy Spirit would come and fill this place. 
And just let us not be, let us not be hasty uh, or in a rush when it comes to your spirit. Just let us be attentive uh, with an open ear and an open heart. And let us just listen to, to what you have to bring us this morning. Um, yeah, just pray all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. I love this time of year. I love any time of year where there's like a natural pivot where you can kind of look back and see where you've been. You can look and see and take inventory of where you are right now. And you look forward to what's ahead. This past week at Grove Youth Senior High, we celebrated our grade 12 graduates. We took time to acknowledge the contribution that they've been to our community and the way that we'll miss them as they go. We had an opportunity to pray a prayer of commissioning over them as they move into the next stage of their life, but also have them pray over our community as we change without them. I know grade 12 is such a pivotal time of reflection. Students look back on the last 13 years spent in the education system, reading textbooks and writing papers and gathering knowledge, and they realize that they get to walk across the stage and say, I did it. But sometimes they don't always realize that that satisfying feeling of accomplishment also comes with the responsibility of what you have to do with that. There's a now what that happens at the end. So last Tuesday night, a few of our faithful small group leaders like Adam um, spent some time giving grade 12s words of wisdom and encouragement and advice. As they look forward to that now what part of their life, they spent time talking about what they would face and how they could face it. Because when you leave grade 12, you realize that pretty much your whole life, as far back as you can remember, has been in predictable patterns. School has been this pattern of, you know, fall and getting your school supplies and knowing, knowing what friends are in your classes and then looking forward to finals and the next semester and then you just want to be done in June and you have your whole summer and you do it all again. But all of a sudden, graduation changes that. And you're given agency to make some choices with your patterns. So regardless of what you choose for after grade 12, it's the first time in your life where the pattern that has been set for you is actually disrupted. And you now have to take all the knowledge that you've gained by making some now what decisions. You begin to set your own patterns. So just like Chandra's example of our grads, uh, we see a parallel in the book of Romans. And up until this point, it's just been a, a downloading of knowledge and we've just been absorbing information. And so the first 11 chapters, they're a systematic exposition of the gospel Romans provides us with the theology of our salvation and sanctification. And then Paul goes on to debrief um, universal sin of humanity. We are all sinners and we all fall short of the glory of God. And then he goes to unpack justification by faith. The law never was going to provide salvation for us. It was just only pointed to our need for a true Savior. And then he provides the results of our justification. He says you are free free from sin, free from law, and most importantly free from death. And then Paul eventually, he goes on and he closes his theological explanation um, with the, the status of Israel and its future. And uh, last week, if you were here, you would have heard Maureen uh, speak on the doxology that closes out chapter 11. And so you're like, man, Adam, those first, a lot of, those first 11 chapters, there's a lot to chew on there. And then the question clearly becomes, now what? Just like those, gradu- those graduating seniors, the question becomes, now what? What do we do because of this knowledge that we've received? Well, if we, if we keep reading, Paul tells us, he says, this is, and this is how Paul often would write, he would say, because of this, now go and do that. And so if we look at the start of chapter 12, it's, it's a call to action. He says, therefore, so he's saying, because of all the things that I've written before this, now do this. He's saying that belief should impact your behavior. And so if we look at the text, it says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, 
to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I know these verses may be really commonplace to you. Maybe you've read them several times or someone's written them to you in a card. Maybe you're a camper who memorized them at camp for some points or you've maybe written them someplace in your home where you can always see them. I challenge you this morning that as we listen to these words that you would ask the Spirit to help you hear something new, to hear a new thing or see a new thing or be called to do a new thing. As I read these two short verses, some very bold words stick out to me. Offer, living sacrifice, true worship, be transformed, renew your mind, know God's will. These two verses pack a hard punch. They don't just let us sit around and keep hearing what Jesus has done for us and how much he loves us, but they actually call us to action. They speak to us of actions of true and proper worship. Because for the last 11 chapters, like Adam said, we've just been seeing Jesus revealed over and over again. And so now there's a call to respond. And the text clearly says how we should respond. It says, in light of God's mercy, knowing what he's done for us, offer your whole life as worship. Worship is both the feeling and the showing of adoration or reverence to God. It's a response of awe that is had when we actually take the time to pay attention to what God has done and where God is leading. It's both an intention of our heart, and an externally expressed action. As Bruce often says, it's not just one or the other, it's both and. It's an outside action that sprung forth from a heart that has a posture of adoration, of awe, of love, because we've taken the time to see God at work. So often we limit worship to the songs that we sing on a Sunday morning, or at a worship night, or in our kitchen, or our car while we're listening to worship music. Or we broaden it so far that we basically just classify every living, breathing thing that we do as worship. You know, we worship as we, like, pick up our mobile order at Starbucks or as we, like, you know, do simple actions around our house like grocery shop or mower grass. But we, we can't simply reduce worship to just, sing, just singing or just saying something's worship. It needs to start with us paying attention to what God is doing around us, the way he's revealing himself to us and through us, and then when we see him, being filled with a deep sense of awe and of reverence, moving us to position our hearts in a place where we want to humble ourselves, to give him glory, which leads our hearts to being transformed to be more like him, which leads our lives to be transformed to be more like him. Because as humans, we're actually people who are created to worship. We see this all the time as people are fans of things. We're created with a curiosity to see something bigger than ourselves and to get excited about those things, to be in awe of those things. We're created to adore. And when we do that, when we adore, when we worship, when we begin, we then begin to orient our lives around that which we worship. We become like that which we worship. So to offer our lives as a true and proper worship, to actually be in awe of him and want to live lives in response to who he is, we first need to actually stop and pay attention to what he's doing, what he's saying. A couple summers ago at Camp Kadesh, our theme for the summer was shift. Um, And these verses were our theme verses. Um, It was the idea that we wanted to impress upon the campers that when you come to know Jesus, you shift your attention towards him, and that shifts our lives onto his life. And this verse was actually painted in our chapel all summer. 
we used the paraphrase from the message that just says, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without thinking, but fix your attention on God. So this morning, we have three steps of challenge to, to offer our lives as worship. And the first would be to identify our patterns. What are the rhythms and the routines that you have in your life? Second would be to allow God to disrupt our patterns. Or as then we have here, we have disruptable, which is not a word that we figured not out this word, morning. But not we made it up, and you get it. But so it's, it's nice, good. so just write that down. I do this. And then last, last is to be attentive. So those, those are the three steps that we want to offer you guys to live as, as lives of worship. So what, to offer our lives as worship, we must first see what's holding us back. Verse 2 in this passage begins with a warning, a do not. Do not conform to the patterns of this world. So we're all born into things that bring us natural patterns. Families, economic, economic status, traditions, denominations, locations of our upbringing. All of these things bring with them an influence on the way we see the world around us, the way we interact with people, the way we value people, the way we make decisions about how we live. And these patterns, whether they're helpful or unhelpful, are far more ingrained in us than we know. They often motivate our thoughts and our actions more than we can ever consciously really know that they do. And they begin to be a guideline for how we make our decisions. Sometimes they become so comfortable that they actually stop us from seeing if new patterns need to take their place. And we all have these patterns. And we need to ask ourselves, where do these patterns come from? Where are these patterns leading me? If we want to be people that offer our lives of, of worship, we need to recognize the patterns that actually hold us back and identify those patterns. If you look to the different translations of this verse up on the screen, we get a pretty strong message about the patterns in our life. Don't conform to the patterns of this world. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. These are all very different words, but they point us to the same thing. Paul's giving believers a warning. Don't just become people who stop paying attention to what God is doing and just start doing what everyone else is doing around them. Don't just be mindless. Don't lack critical thinking. Don't follow blindly. Don't be apathetic. Don't lack concern for the outcome. Paul's warning suggests that offering our lives as worship involves a considerable measure of attentiveness, of listening, evaluating, and being open to change. So these patterns are not just in the outside world, um, but they're in the church world too. And as Christians, we also have patterns. And when I think of myself and my generation, I see this a lot. And sometimes these patterns, they're not the best. And it seems like we know what to say and what to do. And we even have our own trite sayings and our own vocabulary. And we like to say, oh man, that Chris Tomlin concert, so anointed. And then sometimes we get out of hand and we're like, that coffee, so anointed. <laughs> like what? What does that even mean? Or people are like, I just want to echo that prayer and just echo, echo that prayer. And that Hillsong podcast, it wrecked me. <laughs> and some of you may be offended by what I just said. And you're like, Adam, I use those sayings. And so if you were offended, I'll just pray a hedge of protection around you. Because <laughs> I think you guys are just on a slippery slope. And I'm just going to love on you through this season. And it seems like we know the right songs to sing. We know when to raise our hands in worship. Bow our heads in prayer. And then you hop into your car and you tune into 100.3, and then you're probably feeling pretty free. Um, we, have, we have our perfect social media pages, our coffee, our Bible apps, and our quiet times. And the list could go on and on. 
And I think sometimes a lot of these things just become a checklist for us. As Christians, we've created and bred a culture of how to act and how to look. And even, even our church, our church body, Forest Grove, has patterns and rhythms. Coming, coming to church in and of itself is a pattern. We have our, our favorite places to sit, and we've basically carved out a little spot in these, these orange pews. And so Bruce and his family would usually sit over there, and we have the young adults and the youth kind of up front, and then the younger families on both sides. And then the people that think the service starts at 1045 or like 1050 and they want to hop out early, you guys are usually up top. <laughs> we see you. We see you. <laughs> and we have, our, we have our ministry programs that we serve in. We have our organization, organizations that we support. We go to Panama almost every summer. We donate to the bridge and, and do food hampers at Christmas time. And, and a lot of us, we help at Camp Kadish during the summers. And a lot of you guys, you guys support financially. You, you trust God in your finances. And again, there's, there's numerous patterns that we're a part of. But what if all these patterns, well intended, are things that are actually holding us back? What if these patterns have given way to religiosity? And maybe our attention has become more focused on our patterns as opposed to what God is doing. At Grove Youth, we like to disrupt our pattern a little bit during teaching and get people talking. So these aren't just words rattling around your head, but actually thoughts that come out of your mouth. So we want you guys to take a few seconds with a neighbor around you, two or three of you, to answer some questions. What are our actridge patterns? What are the things, the patterns that you see in this church, but also what are your patterns? What are those things that you just see in your life that you're like, yeah, that's my thing and that's what I do? Take 30 seconds and talk amongst yourselves. Go. I'll just grab a few answers from there. What's your pattern, Adam? What's my pattern? <laughs> the button. The, bu- the top button, no socks These are my days. patterns. <clears throat> what are they on? Give them a what? We're still on. Oh, yeah. No, we're not on. We're I off. think we are. Let's go. All right. I know that that's a, a very short amount of time, but another thing that we like to do is we like to actually get some interaction from the crowd. So, uh, is anyone brave enough to just shout out, what's your pattern? What's our Attridge pattern? What were some of the things that came out? I sit over here always. Yeah, you sit over there always. Adriana, she's owning up. What else? What? 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 That's a personal. Well, we had both. We had our own Attridge pattern and a personal pattern, so you can answer either. That's fair. What are other patterns? Yeah, BP's at lunch, okay? Jared Yoakum wears his Crocs every Sunday. Day off Crocs. Weird. Any other ones? What are some of our what are some of our actridge patterns? The things that we do in this church? Yeah, okay. Gilbert, thank you. Thank you. Any others? Well, we stand and we sing. Yeah. Well, these are all patterns, and some of them are very good, and some of them may just be done because we don't even think about what we're doing, but we can all admit we have them. We have patterns, and we have to own them sometimes. So many, many of these patterns and rhythms that we are, are a part of are good, um, 
They're inherently they're good things, I think. But even sometimes, like we just recognize that we're not even aware of the patterns that we're in sometimes. So with this with this in mind, we need to allow God to disrupt our patterns. And as some of you might know, I don't know if Ch- I don't know if Chandra, you don't mention this, but I, I have a mechanical engineering degree. Um, so I study things like heat transfer and fluid dynamics, Donald Bergstrom, I see you, and kinematics. And of the simpler principles that, that fell under my studies was called the laws of motion. Um, and how many, how many of you are familiar with, with this guy? Does anyone know who that is? That would be Sir Isaac Newton. And no, he did not invent the Fig Newton bar. <laughs> and so he has... He's, yeah, in, of his laws of motion, he has the, the law of inertia, and in that it states the following. It says, an object at rest stays at rest, or an object in uniform motion stays in uniform motion until it is compelled to change that state by an external force. So, for example, this apple. This apple will stay at rest in my hand, or it will st- in motion, <laughs> until Catch. it's compelled to change, or until a force is applied. And so, like, if I were to throw it just like that, it would, theoretically, it would continue to go until, like, gravity acts upon it or friction or someone like Carter catches it. Um, and sometimes, sometimes I think we are that apple, and we like to remain in our patterns, whether that be our uniform motion of just consistently going through those, those day-to-day things, or we like to remain in stillness or stagnation until we are compelled to change. And I think... We need to allow God to be that force that affects us to change. So what compels us? What compels us to move? When we are in our patterns and just cruising along, like feeling like we're doing what we need to be doing, what is that force that compels us? We know, as it's Pentecost Sunday, that it's the Holy Spirit. We know that God offers us his spirit so we can be activated to what he is doing around us, and that we can join in to that work with him. We need to allow ourselves to position ourselves in a place where we are hearing what he is speaking to us, to be disrupted from these patterns in the hope of the new things that he wants to do in and through us. So to offer our lives as worship, we have to be disruptible. We need to recognize our complacency and our comfort, our inability to be inconvenienced and position ourselves to hear God speak. We need to carve out time and space to study and to listen to both God and each other, to submit ourselves and our actions to him we need to honestly look at our patterns and ask the lord is this still what you're asking of us or is there something more if we want to be transformed we need to not only be disrupted but let the holy spirit change us through that disruption today is pentecost and pentecost is a story of disruption here's a community that is entrenched in patterns that gets disrupted at its core and completely transformed The Jewish community would have been one governed by the patterns that have been handed down to it. And they have great meaning and value. And they were even in one of those patterns, gathering at an annual festival, Jews from many nations all together, when God decided to disrupt them through the outpouring of his spirit. There's verses in Acts chapter 2, and I'd encourage you to read them all later today, that talk about the effects of this outpouring of the spirit. It talks about the fact that on Pentecost, that the Spirit poured out and that um, the, the believers were able to speak in many different languages. Peter goes on to preach to those who are listening and, and he reclaims words of the prophet Joel and says, I will pour out my Spirit. Young sons and daughters will prophesy. Young men will see visions. Old men will dream dreams. 
He continues to talk about the fact that God will call people unto himself. When people ask him, what must they do so that they can, they can follow these words? He says, repent of your sins, turn to God, be baptized in the name of Jesus. And then the believers' lives were changed. They devoted themselves to these things, to teaching, to meeting together, to sharing meals, the Lord's Supper, to prayer. They worshiped together. They saw miracles and signs and wonders. They gave with great generosity. And then it says that their numbers increased daily. God added to their numbers those who were being saved. Here we see the the outpouring of God's love on his children and the disruption of their lives so the kingdom would grow. Because they allowed their patterns to be disrupted by the coming of the Holy Spirit, by a new direction, a new guidance, one that was unknown to them. Because they paid attention to where he was calling them, they responded in obedience, and God moved, and the kingdom grew. So as we just heard in the story of Pentecost, uh, these believers were willing to change their focus of attention. And they're no longer bound to religiosity, but they were able to be freed by life in the Spirit. So I think we must ask ourselves, where is our attention? Is it on God and guided by the Spirit? Or have we allowed our patterns to become a distraction? And so at the root of this, I think we need to ask, what does it mean to be attentive? William James defines human attention as withdrawal from some things in order to deal effectively with others. Um, and it's a condition which has a real opposite in the confused days and scatterbrained state, which in French is called distraction. So attention is the skill of withdrawing from everything to focus on some things. And therefore, attention determines how we perceive the world around us. There are always so many things that go around that we never truly enter into our experience. So for example, we have these fans above that if you're in here by yourself, they actually make a whirring sound. Um, But right now that's ignored because that has no interest to us right now. So our experience is what we agree to attend to. The items that which we notice uh, shape our minds. And just like I said, millions of things in here could be the focus of our attention. Like we have a painting over here, we have bright lights, we have orange pews, we have everything in here that could distract you. Um, but hopefully right now, you've chosen to attend to one thing, and those are the words that are coming out of my mouth. The things that Chandra and I are saying are shaping your experience right now, are shaping your mind. Not the millions of things that are around you, and that's what we call Attention. We're not simply creatures of our environment. We are creatures shaped by the selective input we choose to focus on. We only really see what interests us, and what interests us, we attend to. So the question becomes, what are you attending to? Are you allowing God to be worthy of your attention? Romans 12.2 in the New Living Translation says, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Even our church world. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. When we stop just doing what we've always done and pay attention to how God through the Spirit is speaking to us, our minds are renewed and our lives are transformed. This doesn't just affect our own life. Because our lives are transformed, it affects each other's lives as well. When we begin to be in awe of what Jesus is doing, when we start to think like him, we want what he wants, and then we live how he lives, and then we offer our whole lives as an act of worship. If you Google the definition of renewal, it says, it's an instance of resuming an activity or state after interruption, the replacing or repair of something that is worn out 
run down or broken, and even offers a faith definition, the state or process of being made spiritually new in the Holy Spirit. So as the music team comes up and as we respond this morning, we need to ask ourselves, what is God, through an outpouring of his spirit, through our attentiveness, wanting to renew in you, in, in us as a church? What patterns, individually and as a church body, do we need to submit to him? How can you posture your life to be more disruptable? How is God wanting you to be attentive to his leading? How is the Holy Spirit awakening us to his movement, and how is he inviting us into it? Maybe there's been something stirring in you for a while, and you just haven't wanted to make space to pay attention to it, or you just don't want to be inconvenienced by it, or you're scared. Maybe you have a word from God that you feel like you're supposed to give somebody else, maybe even here in this room right now, but you've never done it because you have just never done anything like that before. Maybe you've noticed the same new person in our sanctuary for the last three Sundays and you've wanted to say hi, but something has stopped you. Maybe you're being moved to offer hospitality, a place at your table or a room in your house. Maybe, probably actually at your inconvenience to someone in need, but you're scared. Maybe you're feeling moved to sacrifice, to be generous. Or maybe you're being asked to resubmit that generosity to God because it's laced with greed, entitlement, pride, religiosity. Maybe you're here and you know that you need to be a catalyst of reconciliation and healing in broken relationships around you, and you have to make the first move. Maybe you know that you need to stop and listen to someone's story and offer compassion before you jump to stern correction. Or maybe you know you need to challenge poor choices in a friend's life around you. Maybe you're here and you know that you need to do the terrifying act of vulnerably just putting all of your stuff, your broken, junky stuff, out in the open to your community to see because you need them and because they also need to help you. Or maybe you're here in the sanctuary and you have felt stifled in worship, in outward postures right here, And you just need to choose to worship freely so as to usher in that freedom around us. My friends, my church, the Spirit is stirring within us. And the Spirit is, is pouring out around us, and the Spirit wants to renew us. So can we open ourselves up to that renewal today? So to close, I'm going to read uh, the verses again, but in the message translation. And I think, for me, this is my favorite translation of these two verses. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit in without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention to God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you, and quickly respond to it.